It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to Miked Up on OM. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. This is an unapologetic activist or activism radio show. We have this show. This show airs every week live, 4 p.m. on Fridays, and we re-air again on Mondays at 7 p.m. So um, just to let you know who you're listening to outside of just me, the host, this is 96 Point three FM on radio, your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station, and we're broadcasting live from Workshop, which is located at fifteen o three King Street, inside of the Ohm Radio Studio. So uh, today, if you listen to, if you're a regular listener to Miked Up on Ohm, then you you know that last week we had an interesting show. We wanted to cover uh, an immigrant crisis occurring here in uh, Charleston County. Specifically, we delve into the issue or the topic of the increased immigrant detention at Al Cannon Detention Center on Leeds Avenue in North Charleston. Today, um, I wanted to bring in the voice of a local uh, local activists, or rather activists who are doing the work locally. Uh, it's a woman from the Me Melatine organization who's doing great work Great work uh, in, um, in not just here in Charleston, but in Raleigh, uh, Durham, North Carolina. So we're going to have her call in via Skype. This is our first Skype call, y'all. So hopefully you just bear with us. I think it's going to work out great. Um, yeah. So, but um, we want. I wanted to hear from Atina as she tells us all about Me Melatine. I mentioned that group last week as I read from the Post and Courier and uh, read about the coverage that Gregory Yee, um, he's a local reporter with the Post and Courier, um, and so he he did some really good reporting on this. But since then, there's been an update. Um, if, again, if you didn't listen to last week's show, basically we went from Charleston County went from on average um, in 2017 to 2018 on average of having 10 immigrant detainees in the Al Cannon Detention Center in North Charleston. That bumped up drastically to around 400 to 500. And I'll get the numbers straight from um, Atenas when she calls in. But it bumped up to as much as 400 detainees from all over the globe at the Al Cannon uh, Detention Center. Now, there has been an update, and we'll cover that later on in the show. But Live 5 News did publish an update yesterday evening um, and this morning regarding the current status of the immigrant detainees at Al Cannon um, but the uptick was huge and we also know that we, we learned last week we learned that there was a financial incentive um, there was a financial incentive that from ICE that may have uh, well that definitely was the driver behind this but again I, I'm gonna we're gonna tap in when the call uh, when the Skype call comes through in just a minute or so we're gonna get all of the details from um, from at tennis as she calls but this is going to be live we know the show i'm looking at my board op jen my my rider died we know that this show is um very grassroots that's why i love working here um at own radio it's, it's grassroots it's a community effort so just uh, if you hear any awkwardness actually you know what we're gonna do we could probably do maybe a quick music break maybe before she calls we'll do a quick music break um again this is 96.3 fm on radio i'm your host of mic'd up oh you know what the call's coming through it looks like let me see. Yeah. 
I'm going to answer the call. <laughs> this is live. Okay. He hello. This is Mika. This is Mike. Up on. Is this at tennis? It is. Yeah. Am Am I? Um. Hey, Jen. Are we hearing her? Okay. Oh, that's great. This This is our first Skype call, girl. So I'm excited. <laughs> great. I'm glad to be the guinea pig. Thank you so much. Well, just before you came on air, I want to make sure I'm, I'm pronouncing your name right. Could you please just state your name and the organization you represent? Yeah, uh, so my name is Athena Burrola, and I work for me, my team. Right, okay. And um, I don't know if you're familiar, but last week um, on this show, this is an activism ra uh, radio show that's weekly, and I just touched on the topic um, after speaking to our mutual acquaintance, Vanessa. I spoke about the uptick in immigrant detention locally here in North Charleston, and I've, I think, I believe you were featured on the news yesterday. Um, uh, I, it did, they didn't have, uh, yeah, it, it didn't have your name on it, but I, I, I think it was you. But basically, um, there was an update about the immigrant status. And I wanted to know if you could just tell us about the issue. You can go as long as you want. Just tell us about what's occurring here in North Charleston. Yeah, so in mid-December, um, I secretly transferred about 200 asylum seekers to the Sheriff Alcannon Detention Center there in North Charleston. Um, these were individuals who had recently entered the country and who were seeking asylum. Um, I transferred them to the local county jail, which traditionally is not a detention center that holds recently arrived immigrants, and didn't really tell anybody about it. We found out about it in the beginning of January, uh, almost through the grapevine. We found out about it almost accidentally. Wow. Um, and with in this discussion with particularly Innovation Law Lab, who is one of the leaders nationwide in terms of responding to crises for asylum seekers, um, we decided that Mimalatin was going to go down to Charleston and help these individuals out because there was not only is there not a nonprofit in Charleston that works with detained uh, individuals in immigration proceedings, but there's South Carolina. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so we might which is a brand new organization. We're actually just starting. Uh, we made the decision that that was not okay um, and that we were going to take ownership and make sure that these asylum seekers' rights and that due process was not being violated and that their rights were being honored in the Charleston jail. Well, I, I just want to commend you and your team for um, just doing this work. You're doing it um, at a very low profile. Um, and I and I know that the, the issues do require an, a certain amount of discretion, but I'm happy to hear, um, I'm happy that at least the local reporters have found out your work that you're doing um, and it, it, it kind of, it, it definitely relieves me a little bit, even though I know there's a lot of work to be done. Um, may I ask where else, what other regions of the United States have you, um, worked or yeah, where have you advocated for immigrants throughout mm -hmm. the country? Yeah. Um, so as I said, is a brand new organization. Oh. Uh, we were actually just getting started. We were in week one wow. of our really like getting down to business week. Yeah. when we found out about this. Um, so, wow. uh, yeah. But um, we, I, I mean, I've been in this, in this field, in the asylum and detention field for four and a half years now, and I've been all over the place. I've spent a significant amount of time in really Texas 
which is uh, where the South Texas Family Residential Center is also known as Baby Jail. That's where mothers and children are detained. Um, I've also spent some time in detention centers, in other detention centers in the South, at Folkston and Stewart, which are both detention centers in Georgia, with Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, and then this past year, as part of New Medellin's kickoff, I guess we supported other work that was being done actually outside of the country, right, in terms of meeting and asylum seekers who were part of the caravan. I went down to Mexico City and spent a week doing Know Your Rights and educational, uh, giving educational presentations in Mexico City with the caravan. And I also spent a week on the border supporting uh, particularly vulnerable population, the transgender women oh, who wow. are seeking asylum in the United States. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a that's a very important aspect. I think people see certain images on television or perhaps they read things um, and they don't get the full breadth of what's going on. And inside of the immigrant population are, are subsets of other, uh, you know, underrepresented groups that need advocacy. Um, and then I know yesterday I was watching PBS NewsHour yesterday and I saw the most um, heartbreaking image of just massive amounts of asylum seekers being staged in Texas underneath a bridge, an overpass. And I wanted to know um, if you could just give some perspective on what's going on in Texas. Like, what what is the problem? Uh, uh, well, I know, right? That's a big question, right? It uh, yeah. depends on who you ask what the problem is. Um, so what has started happening really in the past two years or so is that um, the Customs and Border Patrol essentially stop letting asylum seekers in when they present themselves at the border. Mm. Um, and so what they're, what they're doing mostly in San Diego is they have people wait, right? They say, we don't have space. You have to wait um, before you're allowed to, to cross the country. And so what Border Patrol says is happening is that there's an uptick in arrival. There's nowhere to put them. There's nowhere to process them. And so now this, this has hit um, Texas. Oh, wow. Uh, we don't, we don't believe that there's a valid reason for Border Patrol, for the U.S. government to be disallowing right. yeah. uh, asylum seekers from entering the country, right? right. Uh, and by we, I, I mean the collective we not like just me my Latin or me no me uh, me so either my personal <laughs> yeah. no me well. either yeah this is um, yeah this is a this is a huge injustice i didn't mean to interrupt but um it just breaks my heart there is no reason for this to happen yeah i'm so mm -hmm. sorry yeah mm. right. and so another thing that happens which is what's happening now in, in el paso is that because individuals aren't allowed to uh, present themselves and to seek asylum via the, like following the letter of the law, right? They're not allowed, they're told that they have to wait weeks or even months in a dangerous city. You know, Juarez is not a very safe city for Central American migrants. So what they do is they cross the border, right? Because once you're inside the United States, even if you entered irregularly, you're still allowed to seek asylum. The law states that you're allowed to seek asylum, and Trump tried to stop that, and the court said, you cannot do that. This is what the law says. Mm -hmm. um, so 
they're they're crossing the border and they're they're waiting to be picked up, right? It's not like they're trying to sneak in. It's not like they're trying to avoid detection. They just haven't been allowed to do so in the supposed lawful manner. And so they're crossing the border and waiting to be picked up. And the infrastructure doesn't exist to then process them because the government insists on detaining asylum seekers, which it doesn't have to do, and it didn't used to do. It could just, you know, process them and then let them go, which happens to a lot of people anyway, to then continue with their asylum process from wherever they they end up with in the United States. A lot of people generally end up where they have family members. Right. So typically people would be able to contact whatever support system or communities are there are here um, mm-hmm. as opposed to being detained. I think that's something that people don't know. I, so this is new. Actually detaining and, and putting folks in custody is a relatively new phenomenon with asylum seekers, well, at least. To, to a certain extent. OK. Um, it really Uh, It expanded significantly, actually, under the Obama administration. Oh, wow. um, With the so-called Central American, right? I don't even remember what they called it anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in 2014, when the amount of Central American, mostly families and children uh, coming to the United States, really exploded, the Obama administration actually... uh, reopened family detention and expanded the detention of asylum seekers, which this administration has just taken with and gone on to an incredible extreme um, that is really not necessary for a population that is fleeing persecution and that is seeking safety in this country. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy you you, uh, gave perspective. This is not just exclusively um, a partisan issue, I guess you can say. So we've had two different administrations from two different parties um, you know, take take certain uh, take certain measures that lack tremendous compassion. I have a question for you regarding the North Charleston uh, area detention efforts. Uh, what did you witness when you would come here to advocate for our immigrant communities here or the detainees here? What did you witness when you went to Al Cannon? Um, so I have to caveat this with saying that I am not from Charleston. I don't live in Charleston, so I am very unfamiliar with how things operate there regularly. I like essentially parachuted in and just started doing my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, it was it was really interesting when we arrived at uh, the jail. Nobody really understood what we were doing there. Mm. Um, the the jail officials, the guards didn't understand, the detainees didn't understand, and even the public defenders. The public defenders did not know that these asylum seekers were being detained at Al Cannon. I literally had a public defender ask me one night, like, hey, what are you guys doing here? We've been seeing you here all week. What are you doing here? I said, oh, well, we're helping these asylum seekers. And he said, what asylum seekers? Oh, wow. Wow. So that was really shocking to me that nobody knew. I mean, that was the extent to which this was done just like quietly, almost secretly, right? That even the local county bar didn't know. Um, But what we found was, uh, you know, we found it was about the the first cohort. There have been several waves that ICE has brought in. Uh, It was a little over 200 individuals from a variety of countries. The majority of them were uh, Central American, but there were also 
individuals from Eritrea, from Cameroon, from Russia, mm. from uh, Mexico, mm. from Nepal, um, not all of whom we represented. We didn't represent everyone, but we, we saw all like a wide variety of individuals from Bangladesh um, wow. who just had no idea where they were, right? All of these individuals had entered the country at or near Tijuana, right, San Diego, the California border, and they had they knew that they were in this place called Sur Carolina, <laughs> but they had no idea what that was. Wow, wow! Like we we literally went in with maps or drew maps because at the very beginning we didn't know what we were what we were getting ourselves into. We didn't know what they knew, what they didn't know, so we would like draw a terrible little map. But eventually we started going in with printed out maps to be able to show these guys like hey, you entered on one side of the country, but now you're on the completely other side of the country. This is where you are. Um, And, yeah, it was, but that, this was the most extreme version of that that I've seen, but it's not unusual, right, because once asylum seekers are arrested by CBC and eventually transferred to ICE custody, they're just honestly like shuttled around like cattle they're told the names of where they're going but they don't know what that means they don't know where it is and they also don't know why they're being treated like wow right yeah uh yeah so that that's never a fun part of of working with uh with this population no Um, yeah and what would you say um how many folks did you did you witness or how many are you aware of are currently detained at al cannon um, at this particular moment, I'm not sure. I can tell you that we met with probably over 300 individuals wow. over the past two months. That's crazy. Um, because these guys, like, they're not holding them there long term. They're holding them there just for what's called the credible fear interview, which is the very first part mm. of um, the asylum process. And then once they have uh, a decision on the credible fear interview, they're actually transferring them to other detention centers. Um, um, okay. So we, I believe we, we met with a little over 300 individuals, I believe, and we ended up working with a representing close to 200 of them wow. over the past two weeks. Uh, okay. um, I'm looking actually right now at uh, WCSB's article because I remember that they yeah. listed the, the number of prisoners. Yeah. And they say that as of March 5th of this year, there were 274 federal prisoners. Yeah. I would guess that probably about 200 of those are through asylum-seeking individuals. But as I said, they've been cycling them in and out. Right? Right. So as like at the end of, or the middle of February, most of the first, the so-called first cohort, what we call the first cohort, was done. And so then they sent in like another 150 people. Wow. And we believe that in the past week or two weeks, they sent in another round of individuals. Well, yes. Um, so, so reported locally, yes, like I said, yesterday evening or this morning, mm-hmm. I saw that they that the county said that they're going to stop. So, is this due to mm-hmm. your is this due to your efforts? <laughs> well, they're they're not saying that, but you know, their stated reason is to cut down on the overtime burden oh. that uh, the vacancies create, and I don't think that I. I'm wrong when I say that a large part of the reason they've had to have deputies working overtime is because we are there nonstop. 
Um, And the jail has actually been very cooperative in ensuring that we are able to meet with our clients and to represent our clients. Um, But it it looks like part of that cooperation was actually costing them money that just didn't make it worth it for them. Uh, So I I can't say that I'm sorry to see that news. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. Um, (laughs) Until it is confirmed and more individuals don't get fed. I'm also not sure whether I believe it or not. Okay. Um, That's right. That's right. Show I'm, was, I'm always skeptical. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so what kind of support, um, as we kind of wrap up your part uh, of today's show, what type of support do you need from us here uh, in Charleston? Well, a lot of it is just um, spreading the word, telling people that this is happening, right? Individuals, mm-hmm did not know no. that the, like, the public defenders who are in the jail every single day didn't know that this was happening. Mm. Um, and even though it seems that the sheriff has decided not to continue this for economic reasons at this moment, they could come back at any time or they could, you know, he could change his mind tomorrow because they are getting paid not a small amount of money for doing this by ICE. Mm. So really spreading the word, um, telling your friends, like, hey, did you know that the county jail is holding a silence speaker who haven't done anything wrong? Wow. Right? Like, ignoring the whole other issue of problems with the criminal justice system and who is being detained in jail. Mm-hmm. Right? Setting that aside for the moment, uh, the fact that, you know, that the jail is literally, or our system is literally jailing these individuals, treating them like criminals when they have done nothing wrong except, for the most part, for most of them, try to save their lives by coming to this country. Right. So, okay, so so spreading the word, where can people, mm-hmm. where can folks and listeners, where can they contact you or find out more information about you and, and me, Melatine? Yeah, so um, if you go on our website, which is me, Melatine, it's M-I-M-A-L-E-T-I-N dot O dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, there's information on there. You can also follow us on Facebook, which is also just me, Melatine. Um, we also, we were extremely lucky to have, uh, individuals from the Charleston School of Law supported, yes. who provided a huge amount of support for us. Yes. Those mm. students were so helpful. Um, they just really stepped up to the plate and, and helped us out as well as local attorneys, local individuals who maybe are just bilingual and interpreted for us and not just Spanish English. I had people who helped us interpret for um, Bangladeshi, for Pakistani, for Urdu, for Spanish, for uh, French, Haitian, you know, a whole variety of people. So I really, I do have to commend the Charleston local community for stepping up and really helping us because this was a completely volunteer-run project. When we went down there, we went down there with absolutely zero budget to do this. Um, We were borrowing the conference room of Kano Law Office, which is great enough to lend it to us. I lived in that conference room for five weeks. Wow. Much. What? You know, so this was, this was really a tribe effort that we could not have done it without the individuals locally and also who came in from the outside to help us out. Well, um, my my hat, I mean, I'm not wearing a hat, literally, but my hat is off to you. Um, I'm an activist here in Charleston, but let me tell you something. You inspired me beyond, and I know personally I'll be keeping an eye on this story, and um, I, I'm not bilingual other than a couple of Gullah f- phrases here and there, but I will definitely be lending my support. 
Um, thank you so much, Attendance, for, 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 for all of your help. Thank you so much, and I'll be in touch. <laughs> Of course, and thank you for having me on the show. No, thank you. Take care. Take care of yourself. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. Oh, trying. <laughs> uh, okay, take care. All right. Bye-bye. You, bye-bye. Oh wow, that was that was I I couldn't help but continue to emote over the the mic. So if you heard a bunch heard a bunch of oohs and ahs and what, that was just a genuine reaction. Um, for those listening, uh, this is ninety six point three. Uh, FM Ohm Radio. I'm Mika Gadsden. This is Miked Up on Ohm. It's a, an hourly or it's a weekly uh, activist radio show here on Ohm. Um, thank you for tuning in. We're going to take a quick music break and then come back and regroup after that amazing interview with Atenas from Me Malatin, which is based in North Carolina. They've been doing tremendous work with the um, immigrant detainees and the asylum seekers who are currently being detained at the Al Cannon Detention Center in North Charleston. So just uh, sit back for this break and I'll be back on the other side. Yeah, Nicky Jam, Spanish remix. Yeah, Yo Saga, Yo Jaded. Uh. Woo! <laughs> yeah, hit it. Yeah. Think it's gonna blow terrible. Nadie me va para yo soy imposible. I don't got the time to put you on a stretcher, stretcher. I am here and I'm still flexing. I am just an icon living. Saw the record label, Misfits just did it. Whoa, I'm high style, put for five minutes. Whoa, we are so hot in the business. No le tengo miedo a ningún merenoso. Bendecido con el todo poderoso. Le metimos con un ritmo escandaloso. Ya no estamos en la calle ni estamos vendiendo cosas. Suéltame el vino de trozo. El duro en el tino soy mentiroso. Pa' todos los envidiosos, pa' todos los resentidos y rencorosos. Yo sé que en el fondo usted está muy orgulloso. We don't know no one like you. Huh? Go girls and you dance like Michael. What? No eyes, misfits, no typos. Look, wait. We just wanna make you go psycho. Put a hundred thousand dollars in the Bible. Ooh. I took the game with my eyes closed. Last verse was before the award show. What? Icon tatted on my torso. What? Me and Moy dipping in the porso. What? I ain't even taking on torso. What? Your shit is fire. I'm more so. What? Young Jaden dying on the floor. So what? She broke my heart to the core. So what? I guess we all gotta grow. Boy, you know why you was an icon living? You was born from an icon living. Messed around, married me, an icon living. Tequila, then we made some icon children. You was raised in an icon village. Work hard, then raised the icon ceiling. One day I'ma hand you all the icon villain and bounce. I'ma be an icon chilling. Único no que siempre se colazo. Por eso con el éxito me caso. 
No quiero que me hables de fracaso. Tú ponme lo que quieras que yo arraso. I'm just an icon living. Saw the record label, Miss just did it. Whoa. Interview, cover five minutes. Whoa. We are too hot in the business. Whoa. I'm going straight to the top of the cold. We should just chill and maybe take it slow. Before we get up there with nowhere to go. And we can chill and just look at the view. Okay, welcome back to Miked Up on Ohm. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and you're listening to 96.3 FM Ohm Radio, your nonprofit, non commercial radio station. And just a reminder, we're broadcasting live from Workshop, which is located here at uh, 1503 King Street. Uh, inside of the Ohm Radio Studio. So um, if you were listening to us before our, our reggaeton break, <laughs> we were talking to a great activist by the name of, um, I'm, I'm trying not to butcher her name, um, Atenes Bor- I think she said Borolo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can roll my R's, I just have to say it right. Um, but yeah, we spoke with her. She actually was representing Me Melatine, which is an, uh, a nonprofit organization based out of North Carolina that actually helps advocate for um, immigrant communities uh, and those who are be- currently being detained, um, specifically asylum seekers. Uh, as I mentioned last week and at the beginning of this show, the out the Al Cannon Detention Center located in North Charleston. Uh, had been it had been a story that broke in the Post and Courier. Well, at least that's where I saw the story uh, of, of upwards of 500 or 400 immigrant detainees and asylum seekers being housed there. Um, that is not a federal facility um, that is usually, um, I guess, chosen to house uh, immigrant detainees. However, uh, the forces that be at the county level thought it would be a good job or good idea to detain asylum seekers, folks who have not committed any crime at the Al Cannon Detention Center. And just so you have perspective, the fiscal year of uh, 2017 to 2018, the average immigrant detainee um, number was about 10 a day. And that went up to about 400, or at least over uh, 300 detainees. And I heard uh, numbers as high as 500 at one point. And you have to take into account that... um, Take into account that this process is very fast. So basically, there is not the infrastructure here. There's not the level of uh, advocates that could help uh, various uh, folks from various backgrounds. So there's a language barrier. There's a lot of other cultural barriers that's not in place here that would be, let's say, in a New York or a Texas or California, which may have many advocates and lawyers uh, equipped to deal with this type of situation. According to um, my uh, one of the case managers, last week I quoted her, and she said that there is no asylum lawyers that she could find throughout the entire state of South Carolina. So that's perhaps why this was prime ground to, to, to uh, employ this strategy. And also we know that there was a financial incentive. So for each immigrant detainee or asylum seeker, the county received $55 per day per person. So again, take that number from 10 a day. And 10 times 55 is just, you know, it's under 1,000. Oh, no, I'm horrible. I'm horrible, Matt. It's under 1,000. <laughs> anyway, take, it's not a funny topic. I'm sorry, but my math is funny. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As one of my um, producers here mentioned, it's $550 to me. So, um, but basically, we went from 10 uh, detainees a day on average to upwards of 300 to 400. So you do the math. And they're cycling in and out. So you're getting um, 
fresh faces every day. And what I was, I think from that first, the first half of the uh, today's show, what you were able to hear, I heard some new details. So I heard that it's not just Spanish speaking uh, folks there. Right. And it's not just, yeah, it's not just folks from Mexico and whatnot. It's folks from Bangladesh. Um, it's folks from Asia, from all around the world um, who do not know where they are. Um, which is which is interesting as well. They came in. We think that they came in um, near Tijuana. I'm, I'm sure that's what um, Atenas mentioned. They come in from different entry points, and they don't even know where they are. So, um, shout out to Atenas and Me Malatine, also to the Charleston School of Law. Tremendous resources um, here locally, people who jumped in to volunteer. It's great to know that at least we have compassionate citizens. And I know we do. I don't mean to say it like I'm shocked. Um, Charleston is a very friendly city. That's why I live here. I love it here. Um, There's so many just dope people out here willing to work and um, put their money where their mouth is and, and, and jump into action. So shout out to the Charleston School of Law for helping me, Malatine, and um, Tennis, and, and, and uh, I believe Damien DeNoble um, and Vanessa and uh, scores of volunteers. What I want to do now is actually play um, coverage. This is an update um, on the issue. This is a Live 5 News report that went out yesterday evening. Um, and so basically this this actually will include, I believe, Atenas is in this. She's being interviewed, though you can't see her. Uh, you'll hear the audio. This was reported by um, Caitlin Stansel of uh, Live 5 News here. So WCSC uh, Television, that's the, um, the call letters. So let's play that audio, Jenna, and um, then I'll catch you on the other side. It's about three minutes of audio. In a Live 5 News investigation, we found hundreds of asylum seekers are being held here at the Al Cannon Detention Center on Leeds Avenue, and many of them have committed no crimes at all. ICE officials say it's because our country is seeing a surge in arrivals at our nation's borders. Caitlin Stansel looked into just how many ICE detainees are being held in Charleston County and talked to an organization helping them with legal services. Asylum seekers came here for safety, but ended up in the Charleston County Jail. And a lot of these individuals, when we first meet with them, they have no idea where they are, right? A lot of them entered in California or in Texas. Mima Latine is a nonprofit organization focused on providing legal services for ICE detainees. The group's work in Charleston County began in January after officials discovered asylum seekers were being held in the county jail. This is a relatively new thing to happen in Charleston. The first of these men got transferred here in the middle of December. Um, before that, the, there were immigration-related uh, detentions, I guess, that, was hap that were happening in Alcannon, but they were people who were arrested for other reasons. An asylum seeker must prove they are being persecuted for their race religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. These are individuals that have fled many times horrific situations that are coming to this country seeking refuge, thinking that this is the place where they're going to be safe, and what we're doing is jailing them. ICE spokesperson Brian Cox said Al Canada Detention Center began holding asylum seekers last year after a surge in border arrivals. In a statement, Cox said, ICE began using the Al Cannon Detention Center in Charleston, South Carolina, as a staging center to temporarily hold persons awaiting an initial hearing. 
following that initial hearing, persons temporarily held at this location for that purpose are transferred to an ICE detention center in furtherance of their immigration proceedings. But Charleston County Sheriff's Office has paid $55 per detainee per day, and the agency is projecting a nearly $350,000 increase in those revenues this year. Mimelatine officials say the jail is missing resources, though, that a federal immigration detention center would offer. Seeing the toll that detention has on these individuals week after week when we start meeting with them is absolutely heartbreaking. I've had clients tell me, you know what, like I know I'm going to die if I go back to my country, but I'd rather die in my country than die detained because that's what's going to happen if I continue being jailed. In Charleston County, Caitlin Stan. So, yeah, we just played the audio. This was um, Live 5 News, uh, television news, uh, reporting on the um, the asylum seekers currently being jailed um, in Charleston County um, at the Alcannon Detention Center. You got to hear from Atenas. Within that interview, um, shout out to Caitlin Stansel and Live 5 News for that coverage. Um, that's the only television coverage I've been able to uncover about this issue. And also I want to recognize Gregory Yee of the Post and Courier for his work, his coverage as well. I pretty much read all, from almost verbatim from the article um, that came out, uh, that was published on March 10th regarding this this crisis and um, I just want to quote one line from the March 10th article just so I know the numbers have been all over the place I, I kept changing it but but the numbers have fluctuated at the Alcannon Detention Center so what Gregory Yee reported was that more than 400 asylum seekers have gone through the Charleston County um, Detention Center so I guess if you put that in perspective more than 400 have gone through but we do know there are um, upwards of 200 to 300 at one time being housed at the Al Cannon Detention Center. But as that interview, as that uh, that uh, report that you just listened to, that audio, you, you hear that as of today, supposedly, the county of Charleston has put the brakes on this. They are, they are attributing the pause to uh, the, uh, they don't have the manpower. They don't have enough, um, they don't have enough uh, members of the sheriff's office to, to uh, actually, to cover uh, this influx in detainees. So um, as we heard from attendance during the uh, live interview uh, early on the show, we are a little skeptical. Um, you know, I don't know what what is going on. I want to attribute some of this to the increased um, the increased press attention, both the Post and Courier and um, and I guess, I don't know, my, my show is not, probably not a blip on the radar, but the Post and Courier and uh, now uh, CB, our local CBS affiliate have really exposed what's going on. So I think that more scrutiny definitely probably added to uh, some of the decision making or, or contributed to some of the, the difference in direction. Um, also, what I kind of want to do is put this in perspective. Yesterday, as I as I watched the evening news, I tuned into PBS NewsHour and I saw a story uh, there regarding the immigrant crisis. So it was more of like a pan out and it gave perspective as to what's going on. And though it is, I, I'm going to play this audio as well. Um, it is um, from YouTube. So of course there are images that accompany the audio, but I wanted to play it because I thought it was, inf it was informative. It, what it does is it highlights what we see at the border. So yesterday during the news, I saw um, hundreds and hundreds of immigrants, um, folks seeking to, 
seeking asylum, just being housed under a bridge, not in a tent, not in some sort of um, detention center, not in a brick and mortar structure, but underneath an overpass. And the image is just jarring. And I, and I, it it's just shows you a complete breakdown in our government in terms of just how this process is supposed to go down. And as we heard from the interview that I had just a moment ago, this is not how it could happen. This is not how it should happen. And this is just, um, this is a low point in American history. I think we're going to look back on this time, you know, um, and really just shake our heads. And not just at this administration. I want to make sure I, I'm a nonpartisan person in general. But as we just learned from Athenis, um, from me, Malatine, this this started um, as far back as the previous presidential administration. So it's not just one party's issue. Um, things have definitely uh, blown up. Um, and the sentiments around uh, immigration and sovereignty has definitely taken a turn, in my opinion, for the worst uh, during these recent years and months. Um, however, uh, we do know this is not just uh, an R problem. This is also an R, a D problem. So I'm going to play, um, Jen, I'm going to play audio from uh, the PBS NewsHour. And so I'll, I'll come back and we'll give some perspective on this. We turn now to the U.S.-Mexico border where federal immigration officials say they are overwhelmed by the massive influx of families seeking asylum. Amna Nawaz begins our coverage with reporting and production help from the Cronkite News Center at Arizona PBS. In El Paso, Texas, migrants detained by the U.S. crammed under a bridge behind fencing and razor wire. Officials say a nearby detention center is past capacity from a surge in arrivals, mostly families and children. On Twitter today, President Trump accused Mexico of doing nothing to help stop the flow, and he threatened to close the southern border. Some of his top aides are echoing the president's message. In El Paso on Wednesday, the Customs and Border Protection Commissioner, Kevin McAleenan, warned that his agency is at a breaking point. With the flows at these levels and increasing, Combined with the lack of bed space for our partners, it means that we will be continued to be challenged to provide humane care for those in our custody. Overall, the total number of people crossing the U.S.-Mexico border is still well below historic highs in 2000, but they have crept up in recent months. Customs and Border Protection says 3,700 people were detained Monday alone, the largest one-day total in a decade. They estimate this month's total could reach 100,000. CBP has responded by moving some 750 staff from internal checkpoints down to the border. But officials say there still isn't room for everyone detained. As a result, many families and children pending their immigration hearings are being released to bus stops or churches, the same so-called catch-and-release practice President Trump has condemned. Volunteers who work with migrants say they're struggling to keep up. Reverend Raul Salgado is pastor at Revolution Church in Tucson, Arizona. The numbers when we started back um, in, in November, December, we started off with 50 a day. Now we're up to like 100 a day, so it's, they've just been up, going up higher and higher. Yesterday in Honduras, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen spoke with Central American leaders about the violence and instability forcing people to flee north. She appealed for help. We are facing an unprecedented regional crisis. The United States has gone from facing a crisis to an emergency 
to the almost complete shattering of our system. Officials from Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador have now agreed to joint police operations to fight human trafficking and smuggling. And Mexico announced it's sending federal forces to its southern border as more groups make their way north. Meanwhile, with little action from lawmakers and the White House calling for unprecedented measures, these families and children remain stuck in the middle of a political battle. And Bob Moore has been covering this story for Texas Monthly. He joins me now over Skype from El Paso, Texas. Bob, welcome to the news hour. We can't say this enough. Volume isn't the problem here. It's demographics, right? There's not more people coming over the border. It's just more families and children. From what you've seen there, how is this creating a capacity issue for our immigration system? So much of our uh, border security infrastructure and even the debate we have around border security is trapped in the 1990s. Uh, the truth is that the infrastructure that we have, particularly the Border Patrol, is not equipped to handle uh, families coming across. Uh, it's a force that's been built to stop people from sneaking across, not deal with large numbers of families seeking to come across and surrender. Uh, that system has become overwhelmed. And in turn, as the numbers increase, the uh, volunteer network uh, in El Paso that's handled these migrants, housed and fed them once they're released by ICE and Border Patrol is also becoming overwhelmed. And we're seeing some of those images now coming from the border. You actually have been tweeting out some of them. Um, and a couple actually right before the press conference yesterday that CBP Commissioner McAleenan gave. Give me the backstory on those photos. Within 100 yards or so of where Commissioner McAleenan had his press conference, was the Paso del Norte Bridge, which is the main port of entry into El Paso from Ciudad Juarez. And there are hundreds of people, uh, mostly families, being detained under that bridge out in the open. Uh, there's mylar blankets scattered everywhere. You see just these desperate faces of people uh, who don't know what, what's happening to them right now. And that's something completely new. It, it's a sign of the capacity of the Border Patrol being exhausted. They have no place to put these people as they process them. So they're holding them uh, under an international bridge right now. Bob, I gotta ask you, you have been in El Paso for over 30 years, you've covered immigration. Have you ever seen anything like that? It, it took my breath away when I saw that yesterday. Uh, and then again today, when I uh, walked over the bridge in, into Ciudad Juarez to get a view from, from above, uh, as I'm walking across the bridge, you could hear babies crying underneath. That is a completely new experience. Uh, nothing like we've ever seen before. You know, let me ask you something about the legal ports of entry, because I have walked across that Paso del Norte bridge with legal asylum seekers. Um, there was a process back then when they were basically preventing people from entering, limiting the number of people. Is that still a problem? Uh, it, it's a huge issue. Uh, uh, there are still agents at the top of the bridge that are prepared to turn back anybody uh, uh, who doesn't have the proper documents and, and basically put them in a long line in, in Juarez to wait for their turn to come uh, seek asylum. That system has, has ground almost a complete stop now. Uh, uh, they're letting very few of any people across. And one of the changes that Commissioner McLean announced yesterday, which is the redeployment of 750 people from ports of entry to help with this uh, uh, migrant uh, processing issue is gonna make problems even worse because a lot of the agents they're deploying are the people who would process asylum seekers at the port of entry. So the administration repeatedly says the way to seek asylum is to come to a port of entry and make your request uh, in, in compliance with the law. That process has stopped. There's, there's essentially no way for people to do that on the southwest border right now. 
So let me ask you about that. Then there's been talk about a new processing facility potentially being built over several months, right, in El Paso. You mentioned some of the solutions, Macarena and Mexico.